This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season, we bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations who are all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple-maker. Today's podcast features the Relational Discipleship Network, RDN for short, and their track about five key components of a disciple-making church. One of the RDN board members, Brandon Gindon, has taken the key components from this track and put them through the filter of disciple-making culture. He put this together in a book form, and it's called Disciple-Making Culture. The subtitle is Cultivate Thriving Disciple-Makers Throughout Your Church. This is a discipleship.org resource, and you can find the link to buy this book through our website. But we wanted you to know that we've created a free visual intro to this book that you can download for free. Just go to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Disciple Making Culture Visual Introduction. The book offers you practical guidance on changing the culture at your church into a church that's focused on disciple making, where it's something you are, not just something you do. So get the free primer to this resource at discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Disciple Making Culture Visual Introduction. The episode from RDN today is called Biblical Foundation for Relationship. What is spiritual maturity and how are you defining it? Featuring Jim Putman, Brandon Gindon, Bob Reed, and Luke Yetter. Here it is. Awesome. My name is Luke Yetter. I get the privilege of running our network the Relational Discipleship Network. I'm also a pastor at Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho. And it's nice to be here in some warmer weather. It's about 10 degrees back home. So, all right. Hey, I want to start us out with a prayer. I kind of want to read a scripture and pray through it. So I think it's awesome that we start in prayer. This is out of First Timothy. Thank you, Jesus, my Lord. You've given me strength. You've considered me trustworthy, appointing me to your service, even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. You shown mercy. Because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord, you poured out on me, Lord, abundantly, along with your faith and love. You are our King. Lord, please be with each of us as we just focus on making disciples of you, Jesus. Help us be focused on your kingdom and not our own. So, Lord, it's an honor to get to be here an honor to get to serve you, Lord. Let's pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Here's why I'm excited about, we're going to talk about disciple making. We're going to talk about five components. This is our first component. And this is, what is spiritual maturity and how are you defining it? One of the reasons I'm passionate about disciple making is I was this close to missing it when it comes to knowing the Lord. I had went to two churches that were just primarily focused on Sunday only, my wife and I, and only due to our pain, marriage not working, is what drove us into a building. I'm really, really, really thankful that we decided to check out a third location, and that was at Real Life Ministries in Pulse Falls, Idaho. And when we went into that building, it was different. They focused on making disciples. They define maturity differently, and it was radical to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So for me, uh, as we talk through these five components, we're talking about being a disciple and making disciples. So here's what I want to encourage you with. As you listen to what both Jim and Brandon are going to be talking about, please have two hats on. One hat is you personally. How, how are you doing with what's being said personally? One, is it big, biblical? Hopefully it'll be really biblical. Two, how are you personally doing with it? And the second hat is whatever organization, ministry, church you run, let that be your second hat. But if you don't have the first hat on, 
and you just think organizationally, you might not get the most out of these sessions. So I just want to encourage you to, to self-reflect as you're hearing these things. All right. So here's going to be the format. Um, we're going to go about, Jim's going to go about 15 minutes on this topic. Brandon will go about 15 minutes. We're going to bring another gentleman up here, Bob. We're going to do a live Q&A session. So on your table, you're going to have these blank three-by-five cards. Throughout the session, if you have a question, jot that down. I'm going to spend the last 15 minutes just kind of going through as many questions as we can. So feel free to write whatever you have, and we'll see if we can get it answered. Okay. So I want to introduce Jim Putman. As you know, if you heard him earlier, he started Real Life Ministries. It was about 19 years ago-ish. And that church really grew really fast. They didn't have a, a marketing budget. They didn't have that. They just did it with relational kind of approach, the relational elbow grease. And it grew really fast year after year after year. It doubled, doubled, doubled. It became one of the fastest growing churches and hence started planting churches. And it was done through the relational discipleship process, meaning looking at Jesus's model, how did Jesus do it? And Jim and his team did the best they could to model that. And so Jim's authored a variety of books. And so Jim, I want to say thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, your willingness just to share what God's doing with you. And I'd love to ask this question to kind of get it going. Um, we're talking about spiritual maturity. How do you define it? Kind of what is it? How do you define it? Maybe start a little bit with uh, some of the problems you've seen. You've worked with a lot of churches. Maybe start with how you've seen it being defined. Maybe speak to way maybe God's defining it. Hi. It's right after lunch, isn't it? Great. Uh, well, first of all, I, I want to just share with you that if you're at this conference, you know that we believe that the church is God's idea. But not just any church is God's idea. God's church is God's idea. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? Jesus has no obligation whatsoever to bless your church or my church. He only has an obligation to bless his church, right? His disciples were called on to go and make disciples as Jesus defines it. Would you agree with that? Which included the church. He, Jesus knew as you went and made disciples that, that people that got saved would be taught all, uh, to obey all that he commanded, that churches would form out of disciples. And, and, uh, and so discipleship is God's idea. The church is God's idea. But, but again, we live in a culture where we've been handed words uh, and those words sound good, like we've been handed the word church. But over the years, the definitions of those words have changed from Jesus' original definitions. The word love has been handed to us. But the definition of love as, is different than the one that Jesus gave us, that, that God gave us in the scriptures in the beginning of time. The creator of the universe designed love, gave love, a marriage, sex, all of it. These are great words. God, it, it, God had a plan for it. He designed it. But when we allow somebody else to take a biblical word and redefine it, those words lose their power. Make sense? The devil's too smart just to take away the word. He lets us keep the word, change the meaning. And so one of the things that we care very much about is if we're going to make disciples, then we better understand what a disciple is. We better understand that Jesus actually didn't say, go make disciples any way you want. He said, go make disciples, assuming that he had just discipled these guys so they knew what it was. Now he said, go do what I did with you. One of the things that we believe is you don't divorce the teachings of Jesus from the methods of Jesus and get the results of Jesus. Okay, so... Going back to the Bible, you know, we all believe uh, scripture in First Timothy, uh, he says very clearly, you know, that all scripture is God breathed, useful, right? But prior to that, it says that through, through the scriptures, we receive the wisdom uh, that makes us wise into salvation and all scripture is God breathed, useful for righteousness, training in righteousness, correcting all those things too. So God's word is our foundation. So we want to take the word, go back to the Bible and say, how is it defined? How is it lived out? One of our, our problems with the church is that first of all, you know, 20 years ago, um, the church, you know, had a variety of different purposes. 
And so many purposes, it was not really accomplishing any. And so we said, what is the purpose of church? Be, be disciples, make disciples. That's the purpose of the church. Um, and so we went, all right, well, that's great. We had people going, all right, yeah, be and make disciples. But then we would have them come. And one of the exercises we would do at our trainings is they'd, let's, they'd be all from one team over here. And we would say, okay, you're all from one team and you're all from one team and you came from your churches. You're here with your staff and all that. How many of you would agree that discipleship is the purpose of the church? They'd all raise their hand. That's why they were there. And then I would say, okay, here's what I want you to do. Take a napkin or a piece of paper or whatever. Each of you write your definition of a disciple. How many times do you think in all of our years of doing that, everybody at the table had the same definition? Hardly ever. It's like everybody calling a play in the huddle in football, but nobody having the same definition of the play. It doesn't really matter how talented you are. You don't play together. You don't win, which is where the church as a team sport came from. If you're going to be a team, that's the first book I wrote. If you're going to be a team, you got a, a house divided against itself can't stand. The Tower of Babel, they all have these skills, change the language. They can't accomplish anything with the same skill. Getting on the same page. As time went on, people started getting on the same page. And, and we, we gave them an, an example, Matthew 4.19. Come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. We say it this way in our church, because we want to have a common language, simple enough that every believer could remember, Matthew 4.19, come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. We say it this way, in the invitation is the definition. Right? First part of the definition is come and follow me. A disciple of Jesus is following Jesus. Why? Because he's king and savior. Come and follow me. You want to be a disciple? You got to follow him. You got to obey him. King Jesus, obey him. Are you a disciple if you don't follow Jesus? No. As you follow him, do you learn new things? Does Jesus give more truth and more commands, right? And you just keep allowing him to lead you. If you don't follow then you're not a disciple. The second part of that was you're following Jesus. You're being changed by Jesus. In other words, you're in this process. He takes you as you are, but he's changing you over time. How many of you agree that's true? But changed into what? What is he changing you into? So we, we are part of that second part is you're being changed into one who loves God and loves others. Why, do, why is that? Why do we say that's what you're being changed into? Well, because Jesus was once asked, what's the greatest commandment? Remember? What did he say? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it or like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he said something we often forget. All of the law and the commandments, all of the law and the prophets, everything written in the scriptures, hangs on these two commands. In other words, you're following Jesus, but as you follow Jesus, you're obeying Jesus. It's really all about your love for God and others. Every command was given to protect or promote love. God is a relational God. He's been in relationship in the Trinity for all of eternity. He created us to be in relationship with him, but he gave us a choice. Let me rule, let me lead. Let me decide what's right and wrong. Everything I've done is for your good. So you're following Jesus. You're being changed by Jesus. He's, he, come and follow me and I will make you into this process of what? Loving God and loving others. So we talk about the head. He's our head. Follow. He's informing our head. Right? Come and follow me. I will make you into heart. Hands. I will make you into fishers of men. Why, why are you fishers of men? Because you know who he is. You know what he did. You know his heart. Everything he does is about love. Why do I commit myself to his mission? Because I love him. For instance, uh, these guys up here, I love these guys. These are some of my closest friends. Uh, Luke, if I love Luke, and he's got a son named Zachary, and let's say Zachary goes off course, and I love Luke. How do I feel when he tells me his son has gone off course? It's heartbroken, right? What if I had the ability somehow to go get or play a part in bringing his son back to his father? 
If you love God and you know his heart is for, for his kids, you're heartbroken. You all have had friends whose kids went off and it's, it's just praying with them and you're talking with them and you're just like, oh my goodness, maybe you have had a kid like me. I had a kid who went off course. He consumed my thoughts. Anybody who would help me with my kids, anybody became my closest friend. You see, if they could say something to them that I couldn't say. See, why do we reach the lost? Because we, first of all, he loved us enough to come and get us. He's, why do I follow him? Because he's right. He's good. He's love. I did it my own way. I I, I sat on the throne of my own heart. I'm going to follow him now. I don't trust me anymore. He's changing my heart. I'm understanding his heart for me and his heart for everybody else. Now I'm committed to the mission of reaching the lost. So I'm following Christ, being changed by Christ, committed to the mission of Christ. Let me ask you a question. Are you a disciple of Jesus again if you aren't following? Are you a disciple of Jesus if you're not being changed? Now, the change happens slower in some in different stages and all that. But if you refuse to be changed, your heart's not being changed. Are you truly a disciple of Jesus? If you're not loving, learning to love God and love others, you're not being changed. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace with who? Patience towards who? Kindness towards who? Gentleness towards who? All the fruit of the Spirit is this changing of heart to be self-absorbed to now being one about Jesus and others, serving him, loving, becoming a, a minister, a servant. I'm following Christ. I'm being changed by Christ. I'm committed to the mission of Christ. Are you a disciple of Jesus if you refuse to be committed to his mission? Well, if you refuse to be committed to his mission, then you don't really love him and you don't really love others. Right? Now, here's why I say all this, guys. Which, by the way, there we go. Okay. Here's why I'm saying all this. You've got to have a definition that you agree with that you're shooting for with your whole team and that you personally are living out. Okay, embedded in that come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men is also Jesus' method. You might miss it. Really what he's saying is not just follow me, but come and be with me. Right? My method is you're going to come be with me in relationship. And so... You've got the definition there, but also a method embedded. And I wanted to, I, and, and this is why it's so important, you see, that you have a common definition and you understand what maturity really is. Because see, if you miss part of it, if you think only obeying, following and obeying is the definition of maturity, it's not affecting your heart, then it leads to legalism, rule following without understanding the heart. It leads to uh, exactly what the Corinthian church was doing. You can know the mysteries. You can, you can, you, you can know the, lo- the laws and the commands. Follow the rules. You can speak in the tongues of angels and of men. You can offer your body to the flames. You can sell your possessions and give to the poor. But if you have not love, which implies you can do all those things, not because you love, but because you're trying to gain the approval of your crowd or trying to earn your salvation rather than doing it because there's a heart change. You can do all those things, but if you don't love, you're a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. You are nothing. The reason, here's a reason. If you're going to lead a disciple-making movement, you better define what maturity is. Because if you make the wrong kind of disciple, Jesus said you make more a son of hell than you yourself are. A blind man leading a blind man, they both fall in the ditch. You better have the right understanding. But there's a second reason. See, as you lead towards spiritual maturity, you experience the blessing of spiritual maturity. The blessing of spiritual maturity is relationship with God and relationship with others. You were built for relationship. So, you know how many pastors I know that are lonely? Lonely. They, they don't have relationship with other people. Why? Because they go, well, I can't be in relationship with my staff because I'm in authority. I, how do I be friends with people I'm in authority with? Right? 
I, I, I can't let you get too close to me because you'll see I'm flawed. And my credibility comes from my ability to appear to meet the criteria. And so the pastors keep their hands here. And, and as the head goes, the body follows. Everybody puts on a face. Everybody, how you doing? Fine, fine, fine. Not only, there's a power that comes from transparent, authentic relationship. When you carry each other's burdens, confess your sins one to another. When you're open and you're honest with one another. Relationship, true authentic relationship is experienced. You experience the love of God. You experience the architectural plans of the the church maker, the disciple maker. You experience God rather than just being informed about it. And so as you're out making disciples, you're going there with disciples who are not only helping you accomplish the goal of making disciples, but you're experiencing the relationship that that you need for support and strength and encouragement to fight the battle. And so many pastors, they, they're like, they're alone because, they, they, you know, spiritual maturity is you know the word and you are gifted and skilled and you, you know, and you've got this uh, uh, invincibility about you and you never doubt and you never struggle. By the way, none of that you find in the scriptures. Jesus himself, who is the best example of spiritual maturity ever, said to his guys, guys, would you pray with me? My soul is grieved to the point of death. Right? Here's what I'm saying. If you don't have a common language and you don't really understand what spiritual maturity is, not only are you not experiencing it, which means there's a big hole in your life, but neither will your people because you can't lead them where you won't go. The destination, spiritual maturity, following Jesus, changed by Jesus, committed to the mission of Jesus. Relationship with God and others which includes knowledge, includes using your skill sets. I'm not against those things, but it equals what you do with your skills is because you love. You follow, and as you follow, you understand his reason why he gave the commands. It's about relationship. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. All right. Um, Brandon Gindon. Brandon Gindon was uh, one of our executive pastors. We started with one of our small groups pastors at Real Life Ministries in Pulse Falls. And as a church grew, Brandon had the, uh, the fortunate uh, role of trying to figure out how to raise up small group leaders and, and, and keep up with that growth and keep them focused on disciple making instead of just facilitating the group. And that was a challenge. Brandon felt called to uh, plant a church. He went down to uh, close to, right outside of Houston, Texas, Tomball, and planted a church. And that thing has grown. When, what I love about what Brandon did with his team, instead of just starting with Sunday as the beginning thing, they spent about a year just walking out, making disciples. And so when you hear Jim touching on that definition and, and really passionate about being real and authentic, Brandon spent a year with his team really starting to change that definition of what are we shooting for? What's the target? What does it mean to be mature? Where does relationship fit in that? And that church started out and kept growing, growing. It went from 100, 200. Now it's, it's one of the faster growing churches there. It's awesome. And I love, Brandon, that you did it the old-fashioned way. You didn't uh, rely, not that radio ads are bad, none of the marketing's bad, but you did it with elbow grease. That was awesome. So if you're interested in a, in a church plant, if you're a church that wants to plant a church, in, the, in this booklet here, we have something called Boot Camp. And Brandon and his team, um, if you're interested in that, you can see a page on there. It's six days you would show up there and Brandon and his team will spend six days with you and just model it done. Go out in the field, model it done. It won't be in a classroom. It'll be out in the field. So if you're interested in that, that's cool. Love to have it. So Brandon, take it away. What do you, whatever you want to add to this maturity. Good afternoon. I, um, Jim hit on some of this idea of spiritual maturity and what this looks like and and as we were planning the church, we had um, folks that had grown up in the church that had a specific definition of what church was supposed to look like. We had non-believers that were part of our group that had no idea um, and kind of everybody in between as we were starting to just do life together. 
um, to, we were meeting in the backyard. We were uh, just in small group together. And the whole time people would ask me, well, when are we going to start service? When are we going to start service? And I continued to just put it off because it was about making disciples first. And as we made disciples, a church would be born. Um, Jim said this, this earlier, and he often says it, is we're not called in Scripture necessarily to plant churches. We're called to make disciples. If we'll focus on disciple-making, churches will grow out of that. And when you look into the Scriptures and this idea of spiritual maturity and what is it and how do we uh, grow this up in people, I, I really challenge you to look at the Scriptures from, from this from a relational perspective. And when we look at the first crisis in Scripture in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, when God is saying, it is good, it is good, it is good, and he looks at Adam and he says, it is not good that you're alone. Adam is not alone. He's in perfect relationship with God. This is before the fall of man. But because man's made in God's image, God understands who we are and how we're wired and what we need, and we are made to be in relationship. If you go and look at the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, the church tends to turn them into a list of rights and wrongs. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. I would contend and challenge you to look at that and go, no, these are really about relationship and what works and what does not work. They're relational principles. God says, don't have other gods before me. And I'm telling you, if you steal from your neighbor, that doesn't work very well relationally. It's kind of a mess. And as you go through the scriptures to look at it with the lens that Matthew 22 addresses, relationship with God and relationship with each other. And I was deeply convicted by what Shadonke was saying today, that the church tends to make this so incredibly complicated. And I, I love being at these conferences and you look at all these ideas and all these new things are going on and the church is constantly trying to innovate something. But if you go look like in, in the book of Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians, and you look at what Paul is saying to the church there that's facing tremendous persecution, he's talking to them and he's praising them for them living out disciple-making. And he says to them, you have imitated Christ and you have imitated us. Therefore, they've been successful, huge impact in disciples made in that region of the world, changed the world. I want to challenge you today. These ideas are great, but can we stop trying to innovate and focus more on imitating? To simplify it and to look at what did Jesus do? And let's live that out. That's what Shadonke was saying. Look at what Jesus did. Look at what the, where the church was successful and let's live that out. I, I had the opportunity in, in this group as we were, doing life together, laying a foundation because the, the, the people in the group and, and our group had no idea what it, what it looked like to be in relationship. I mean, in real, true relationship. See, when you, the, the, the whole concept of imitating means that we're in proximity and you can see me do something. I'm not, it's not just words coming out of my mouth. That they're watching this, they're, they're, they're seeing a model for it. And so we spent that first year together and we were getting ready to, to uh, launch our first service after a year. And our group had grown to about 120 people. And we had multiple groups meeting in homes. And we're getting ready to launch. And I have four kids. I have two daughters and two sons. And my two daughters play fast pitch softball. One's in college now. At the, at the time, they were, they were headed to a tournament. And my wife and I were following them about a half hour behind them. And all of a sudden, my wife gets a phone call that our daughters had been in a car accident. They'd been T-boned by an F-250 doing 50 miles an hour. My 14-year-old daughter was in the passenger side. And we arrived at the, at the emergency room. There was about 25 police officers standing there. I'll never forget it. And a woman came out and grabbed me. And she said, hey, I need you to take it back to the family room. I thought, oh my gosh, my, my, my girls are dead. And a doctor came in and he said, you need to understand. He said, your daughter has suffered 16 skull fractures, double compound fracture of her jaw. She has blood on the brain. She has oxygen on the brain. And she has a 3% chance to live. 
and my, our world was changed. She went in, she, she was flown by helicopter down to, uh, down to the medical center in Houston, best doctors in the world. And she was in a coma for 21 days. And when she woke up, praise God, she had to relearn everything again. Relearn to walk, talk, tire shoes, everything. You name it, she had to relearn it. God spared her life and saved her. But the moment that wreck happened, I remember being confronted with the issue of what's gonna happen to my marriage? What's gonna happen to our church? How are we gonna survive this? I mean, I had done the, the funeral for my daughter a million times in my head in those first few hours. And the church rallied around us. And I don't mean they just showed up and made meals. I don't mean they, they texted me, we're praying for you, pastor. No, they flooded the emergency room. I had one guy that sat in the waiting room for three full days and never left. Sat there with me, told his wife, I'll be there when I can, but I gotta be next to my friend. For 21 days, people sat with us and did life with us. And then when my daughter went into rehab, they were with us and walked and, and cared for us. And the amazing thing during that whole time, while she was in the hospital for, for almost 90 days, my wife and I never slept under the same roof for 90 days. We just traded nights at the hospital. The whole time I'm going, what's gonna to happen to our church? But it grew, continued to grow. Shoot, there were some weeks I wasn't even there. I'd show up as like a zombie, do what I could to preach, but it grew. People were being baptized. I remember watching on, on my phone videos, people sending me a baptizing people because they had seen a model of what it looked like to do life together for a year before this accident ever even happened. They were being disciples who could make disciples. And I watched the church flourish during this incredibly traumatic time in my life. And I'm, I'm happy to say today that my daughter, Olivia, who, was, who suffered the brain injury um, last week, she committed to play softball at the University of Massachusetts. It's a miracle that God spared her. But see, we have to understand something when it comes to disciple making. That unless we're willing to get in the trenches and do life with people and be there and be a model and learn ourselves how to live it out and live it out in front of other people, I don't think as a church, we have anything to say to the rest of the world. Because that's the commission that the king gave to us. That's the number one thing we're supposed to do. Go into the world and make disciples. That's our job. I mean, imagine if a football coach was handed, this, this guy or gal was handed a team, handed a football team. I want you to coach this team and lead this team but you had no idea how to score a touchdown. You didn't even know what a touchdown was. I mean, you maybe read about it in a book somewhere, but you had no idea how to even lead the team and how to win a game. We would never do this in any other aspect of our lives. We wouldn't do it. But yet in the greatest call in this world, that you, Bobby said it, that we could ever embark upon the most important thing that we need to have defined in our lives is how to make a disciple, to be a disciple and to make a disciple. There's no other greater calling. But the church has lost how to do it. And whatever this thing is that we've substituted in at times and define that as being success, we have missed the mark. You are not scoring the way Jesus defines it. We're not winning the way Jesus defines it. And when I could sit in a hospital room with my daughter or be there with her while she was doing rehab and learning to walk again, and I could get videos of people discipling other people. I thought, wow, this works. 
It's not just some miracle that happened in Post Falls. It's not just for a handful of few churches that have really exceptional pastors and leaders. No, if we do things the way Jesus did them, we change the world. I think this is what Paul was talking about. In 1 Thessalonians, when he goes further on, chapter 2, verse 8, he says, not only did we share the gospel, the message, we shared our very lives with you. When you read the context, what he's saying is this deeply relational, caring passage. He cares deeply for them. They had done life together. And he closes his chapter out and saying, he goes, what is it that we even have to brag about before the Lord? He says, it's you. The disciples that were made. You, you're our joy. That's the only thing we have. What spiritual maturity? It's us learning to do life and live life together and to fulfill what Jesus said in Matthew 22 to love God and love each other. To walk as disciples as Jesus called us to be and to know how to imitate that and pass it on to someone else so that we can take the content of the scriptures, the truth of the scriptures, and put it into into action. That's when I was seeing all those stats today. That's what it was telling me. When you talk to the Gen Z or Gen X or Gen Elemental P, whatever it is, every, it doesn't matter whether they're a 16-year-old or 60-year-old. We all have the same needs. We need relationship with God and relationship with each other. Call it whatever you want. And if you don't see it done in a practical way, in a realistic way that's transformative, who cares? It doesn't matter if it's not changing life. It doesn't matter, as Jim said, how much we know up here. We can know, we can memorize all the scriptures we want. But if it doesn't translate into our hands and feet, we are spiritually immature. Maturity is lived out in the context of relationship. So my challenge to myself, to my church, to all of you, is that you commit yourself, yourself, not your staff, not your church, that you commit yourself. I have to learn what it means to be a great disciple. I have to be committed to being a great disciple of Jesus and begin living that out in front of people and being a great disciple maker. As Jim said, as it goes from there it begins to be a model, an example, and you begin to imitate what Christ calls you to imitate. Stop trying to innovate all these new fancy things. Those are great. But if you're not living it out, first and foremost, you have nothing to pass on to anyone else. God bless you all. Thank you, Brandon. I love your heart. I love your passion. Bella's mentioned this in our next session is intentional leader. And we're going to break down. What are some of those key things that intentional leader does that really values relationship from a biggal view? And so I encourage you to, to go to our next one as well. You know, funny story. Uh, when, when, uh, when uh, Brandon launched the Sunday service, he didn't know we were going to come down and just kind of surprise him and celebrate and just go, man, that's really cool. You know, because it's, it's a lot of hard work to get to that point. So I show up. Brandon doesn't know I'm coming. And I walk in the lobby. I don't see Brandon, but it's their opening Sunday morning. And I walk in, and uh, he's got some volunteers serving. And one of the guys comes up and shakes my hand. And, and, and I'm like, oh, nice to meet you. And I said, so what is, what is this church about? And, and this guy was so excited to answer that question. He, he was like, oh, this is different. This is a different church. And I said, really? Really? He goes, oh, yeah, this is totally different. He goes, it's not like, he goes, I've been church hopping my whole life. 
He goes, but this is different. I said, what's different about it? And he, he goes, well, he just, he's trying to find somebody. He goes, you know, uh, the, well, the senior pastor's not in here right now. He goes, but I can tell you why it's different. He goes, I've been to his house. house. I've had dinner with him. I've hung out with him. I know some of his stuff, and he knows some of my stuff. He goes, this is a completely different church. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. I go, do you work here? He's like, no, I'm just a volunteer. <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. So anyway, Brandon, that was a great job, dude, just investing in people. All right, I want to switch uh, to just our question and answer time. Before I do, I want to bring up Bob Reed. Where's Mr. Bob Reed? Is he in here somewhere? Mr. Bob Reed. If you'd come up here and join the panel, if you would. So Bob Reed is a senior pastor. He was, he was with a church out of Riverside, a uh, church uh, in Riverside called Riverside out of Fort Myers, Florida. And, and Bob shifted that church over the course of six, seven, eight years and had to shift that church to really focus on disciple making, and then felt called to do the same thing at a church called Sci Life in uh, Texas. And so one of the reasons I want you to join this panel is because as you're asking questions, you get to come from a, maybe a, a different perspective. And uh, as you were listening to what Br- Jim was saying, what Brandon was saying, is there anything that you'd just like to just speak to that's on your heart right now before we get into the Q&A? And as you think Q&A, please be filling out those cards, hold them up, and we'll have somebody, Jason back here, will grab, we'll bring those cards up front, and we will uh, try to answer some of those uh, questions. Yeah, so I think the, the thing, again, what they said was great, and, and uh, just, it just always is reminding me of my first time I even read the book back in 2011. Um, but, you know, if you went to Bible college, or you went to seminary or both, I can't remember a single time and I really have tried hard because not, I'm not trying to dismiss it, but I can't think of a single time that there was much of an emphasis on relationship. It was really about knowing the word, being able to uh, dissect the word, to be able to communicate the word. There would be talks about shepherding, uh, but it was not really about relationship. Um, and so I think, you know, as you go back to scripture, we was talking about the biblical foundation for relationship. And you go back to the first relationship What's the first relationship we see in scripture? It's God, right? In the beginning, God, the Trinity. He, God exists in relationship with himself, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So if we're called to be image bearers, think about this. This was super convicting to me. If we're called to be his image bearers for us to do ministry or to make disciples outside of the context of relationship, actually we are doing stuff outside of our design. And so how do we expect it to really glorify God uh, when we've isolated and we, we teach and preach and we lead outside of relationship, mostly because we're afraid? Or we've been taught or told, like I was, if you want a friend, you go hire one. They're called a counselor. But you can't get close to your staff because at some point you might have to fire them. And so what do we do? We isolate, which goes against our very design. So I just go back to saying, if you really want to live out and make disciples the way Jesus did, Jim said it earlier, and Brandon did a great job of, of just, again, expressing that throughout the other passages. But for us to make disciples, we've got to be in relationship uh, with others. And it's, it's the way God has designed us. Love it. Love it. Thank you, Bob. All right, hold your hand up. If you've got a card, hold the card up, and we'll, we'll, we'll grab it. Keep it up, and Jason will come around. As you're... Uh, Thinking of a question, I have one here just to kind of get things rolling. Just keep your hand up if you would. Okay, first question. We get this common question is, we're hearing a lot about relationship here. Where does good Bible teaching come into play? Um, that's, that's a strange question. Because I, if Jesus said all the law and the prophets are summed up in love God and love others, then every part of the scriptures has some implication for relationship with God and relationship with others. So if you're reading scripture apart, if Jesus said it all is, hangs on these two commands, if he says that and you're thinking that good Bible teaching doesn't somehow lead to that, you know, I don't know how to, to process that question I, for me personally. I, I think I think the very nature of that question that we're asked that it's being asked that way 
exactly defines our problem. The fact that we're separating in our mindset of Bible teaching and relationship tells us the problem. Because scripture should be being taught in the context of relationship. I mean, not that a classroom is, is bad or, or even preaching on Sunday morning, those are good things. But again, if it's not being modeled, expressed, and lived out in the context of relationship, you know, Jim taught me this, rules without relationship equals rebellion. And it's like with my kids, if I'm not walking in relationship with them and talking about the scriptures as we walk along the road, as Deuteronomy 6 says, that's all, that, that Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, that's all about relationship. As you walk, as you talk, as you do life, you, you, you live out the scriptures. So the fact that we're separating those two in our minds is, is exactly the problem. That's great. This next one's a uh, true, or, true or false question directed at Jim and heavily around spiritual maturity. Is it true that Luke beat you in putt-putt golf the other day? True or false? Spiritual maturity. <laughs> true and false <laughs> oh man here let me let me say one thing one of the things that uh, we used to do a com- our conference and i would go around and i would ask what did you get from this and that that actually changed some of the way i teach this now because i didn't like what i was hearing here's what i was hearing the best way to make disciples is in relationship That's true, but that's false, much like your question, (laughs) okay? You don't use relationship to get mature. Yes, you use relationship in the maturing process, but the fact that you're in relationship at the end of that process means you are mature. Relationship is not the means to the end. It's the end. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's in relationship you learn to have relationship with God and others. So that at the end of the process, you have relationship with God and others. Does that, does that make sense? You don't graduate relationship now that you're mature. So now that you can teach somebody else how to do it. That's you good. have relationship. You have brothers and sisters in Christ. You, you have the support structure. You're honest and transparent. One of the things that, that I was taught at Bible college is you're a great lover of others, which means you do shepherd, you do care for them, but don't tell them your stuff. You're, the, you're not the one who receives. You're the one who gives. And because you get from God, you can be the overflow into the lives of others. As if people can't be, God doesn't use people as a voice, as a tool in your life, right? You don't, you graduated from that. You're, you're, you got it all together now so you can be a tool in other people's lives. Instead of, you have relationship where you pour into each other. You, you carry each other's burdens. You share when you're struggling with God. I mean, when Brandon was going through that, I got to be for him what he was for me when my son was a drug addict and I was mad at God. I got to say, dude, I I don't understand God. I don't even know how I'm going to preach about his love right now because I don't think he loves me at all. He didn't go, you're a pastor. You You can't have those feelings. You can't have those thoughts. You know? He's like, what can I do? And he listened, and he's like, I'm praying for you. So when Brandon's struggling every day, is his daughter going to live, going to die? It was like a ping pong ball every day. He's like, I don't even know how to talk to God. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to help my wife. I don't know how. We, you get to have people that you're honest with who point you to Jesus, and you, you become, he became the hands and feet of Jesus, the mouth of Jesus into my life when I couldn't see because I was too hurt. And I got to be that for him. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Yep, it's good. With This is a question. Uh, with the Real Life Discipleship Workbook, do you believe someone is ready to be a disciple maker after 12 weeks? And how do you determine when someone is ready to be a disciple maker? <laughs> no. Uh, 
So, you know, again, the resource is a manual. It's a, it's a very effective manual. Here's what we found with our staff when I took them through the first time a number of years ago was it, it seemed it, it, there was a lot of good stuff in there. But what I found was it seemed pretty dry for them, to be honest. And then all of a sudden, when I made it a requirement that each one of them had to be actually discipling somebody, and then we kind of went back to this manual, and all of a sudden, they're like, man, this thing is amazing. <laughs> so helpful, right? And so what we found is that um, the manual is a great tool. It's a great resource. It's helpful to equip and to encourage and, and those kind of things. But it's not like you go through a 12-week course, you know, and it equates a disciple maker. Uh, so I don't know if that, hopefully that. You know, here's the thing about um, let me just say it this way. Um, to some extent, I would say, yes, after 12 weeks, you are capable of being a disciple maker. Uh, but does that mean a disciple maker alone? Does that mean you don't have constant coaching? Because it, we know this, if, in this, uh, I will make you fishers of men. It's a process and it's a lifelong process. How many of you are still learning? So are you a completed disciple maker now that you have a seminary degree? Am I saying because you have a seminary degree, you're mature? There's probably some things that have you've grown in, but there's probably some holes, right? You, you, when you go through the 12 week, when I, here, let me use the sports analogy. Some people want people to be good at the game without ever getting in the game, but you can't get good at the game without getting off the bench and making some mistakes, getting the coaching I don't want you off the bench and in the game without a coach. That's dangerous. But I want you off the bench and in the game, in the practices, really doing things because you only learn by doing. So there's a balance in that. Can you lead somebody to how far you've gone already and what you're learning? Uh, a disciple maker is one who confesses when they're off course because we all know you can know the course but then get off course really fast. And, the, and your maturity level is based on how quickly you realize you're off course. Let people speak into that. The Holy Spirit speaks to you and you respond. Can you do that with help? Yeah. So do I think you should ever be this person who just, uh, you went through the manual, now you're a disciple maker without somebody encouraging you and walking through that with you? I don't think that should happen. But do I think you have to go through a 12-week course and three years with Jesus and all that to be an effective disciple maker? Well, we know this. All the guys who went with Jesus through his uh, journey, at the end of it, denied him and ran away and one hung himself. So it's an ongoing journey. A mature disciple maker has put barriers on the road understands the truth, has people speaking into it, has a walk with God, never gets past being getting wise counsel, is, is still having people coach and look into their life and hold them accountable. You don't graduate accountability. You don't graduate getting wisdom from other people. So that's a, that's a, that's a nuanced question when it's asked like that. Does that make sense? Probably think, not. That's okay. One no. thing I'd just add to that. I think the principle, we talk about this all the time, Disciple-making, being a disciple, it's not what you do. It's who you are. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's who you are. So it's hard if it's something that you are to say that you, like you've, you've graduated and now you can. My friend Greg that's, that's uh, on our staff, uh, an example right after I got the opportunity to lead him to the Lord, it wasn't several weeks, and he's, he's coming and talking. He's like, hey, my neighbor, I'm talking to my neighbor, and he's got questions, and Greg's answering, trying to answer this guy's questions. He's discipling him. He's being a witness to him. Brand new early in his faith. Uh, so it's, it, it, he, was, he knew that it's who I am. And so I think you have to be careful with, okay, now you've graduated, now you can go do it, especially doing that alone. That's good. So we got a variety of uh, questions here that we won't have time to get to all of them in this session, but I'm going to read them off to you because most of them will get addressed in next, the next session because they're very intentional questions. I'll give you an example. How do you intentionally shift, which is how do you shift your church from a focus on programs to relationship? There was another question. How do you shift your church from more of a maybe entertainment-based church? Another one was how do you shift your church if it's more of a Bible teaching class, Sunday class church? So, 
next session, we'll dive into what do you intentionally do to walk some of these pieces out? There's three questions in here about small groups and relational environments and what part did they play in that? We'll address that at session two and session three on relational environments. I just want you to know that we will address all these questions, but for the sake of time, I'm trying to be respectful with your guys' time. And I want to talk about one thing as we transition for a break is you, hopefully you guys have this handout. I want you to open this handout and take a look at something. Turn towards the back. When it comes to, you see this, are you tired of doing ministry alone? Join a coaching group. So we started a network of churches from different denominations that are committed to help other churches. So there are churches that have made the shift and they're passionate about helping you make the shift. And so if you're interested in that, they're interested in helping you. And so um, I don't know, do we have any churches from the network in here? Raise your hand if you're in the network in here. You got up here, you got up here. Awesome. Thanks for coming. Uh, thanks for just being here, support. And if you see anybody that raised their hand, you have any questions for them, you could ask them. Raise your hand one more time if you guys would. If you want to know what it's like to get, get coaching, and the reason I say coaching is a lot of times working with a lot of pastors is they try to do it alone. I'm a pastor. I get it. Try to do it alone. I would encourage you to seek wise counsel and get some help and uh, maybe consider getting coached in this direction. So on the next page, you have boot camp. We talked about that church planner boot camp. It's kind of getting that DNA of being a disciple making church early on. This, this bottom of this is a church elder learning community. The reason we started this is that we had a lot of elders that were uh, struggling with being aligned and what does it mean to be a disciple-making church and to walk this out relationally. So we started this elder learning community where we have elders come in from all over. We break them into small groups and we spend a day and a half with them just answering questions. Yeah, elders training elders. That's led by the elders who have walked through this process about being relational. So if you have elders you want to get into that process, it's done very relational. On this last page, I'm just going to mention this to you because on the Disciple Shift 1, this is a two-day experiential training. What this is, is we've asked pastors that we've worked with, we said, hey, would you come and help us do the training? So whenever, if you sign up for this, this is a two-day experiential where churches from all across the country fly to this, the locations you see here, and they'll spend two days with you. And the only reason we ask them is because they're adamantly and passionate about making disciples. And they've made disciples in their context. And so we're saying, hey, come and help. Give back. Help. So I encourage you to sign up for that if you're interested. So one of the people I want to uh, bring up is uh, Mark Messick. Where's Mr. Mark Messick? So Mark Messick, he is uh, at a church, Redemption Church out of Alabama. And what I love about Mark is Mark, uh, at some point, was sitting at a conference, and from there, you chose to sign up and go to a DS1, two-day experience, and over those two days, uh, you had a heart shift to go, we need to make disciples relationally. You guys were a big church. What was the size of your church? Oh, 1,200. Yeah, 1,200. 1, yep. Yeah. And so Mark has been their small groups pastor, discipleship pastor for 17 years. 17 years. Yeah. And what I love about this is, is Mark signed up for coaching, as did their senior pastor. And now go forward, about five years have went by, at least maybe, ish. And so what I love about it is we asked their church, hey, would you be one of our coaching churches? Would you, as would your senior pastor reach back and coach other senior pastors? And would you be willing to coach other small groups pastors? And, and you, said, you said yes. And I love that. And then we asked you, hey, would you be willing to help out our network? And help us uh, with all the connections and get people connected into these coaching groups. And you were crazy enough to do it. Absolutely. And so what I would say is, why were you willing to do it? I mean, give me a, I know we don't have a lot of time, but. Right. What? Well, I'm in your shoes, possibly, um, this, this, uh, this afternoon where I was in a church and we were kind of moving maybe from event to event. And we did events because events were easy, relationships were hard. But we got pressed into relational disciple making. And, and someone came alongside me years ago, Eddie Bateman from, from Real Life Ministries, and began to coach me. And we had a relationship for about two years, 
Help me grow personally as a disciple maker. Help me develop a culture within our church and with our key leaders to be uh, intentional in our disciple making efforts and to see the fruit of that and to still see the fruit uh, happening in the lives of those that we're discipling. And so it's my privilege to partner with other churches who are seeking to become more effective in their disciple making efforts. It's my privilege. Mm. Mark, love your heart. I want to say thanks for, thanks for joining the, the team and willing to do this. So there's a sheet here. If you want to take a next step, Mark will call you. We're not, gonna, we're not just going to call everybody that signed up. If you want us to call you, just fill out what you're interested in. Uh, put your phone number, Mark will call you, and we'll do our best we can to help you and give you resources, coaching, whatever you want. And so uh, I want to say thank you for signing up for here to this session. Thank you for being passionate about reaching people like me in your community. Love your guys' heart. Thanks for being here. Hopefully we'll see you at the next session. That's it for today's episode. Check out the free visual introduction for Brandon Gindon's book on disciple-making culture. Go to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Disciple Making Culture Visual Introduction. Thanks for listening. Yeah.